it's a joy to see that uh, you've been able to make it on a Monday night like this. This is a great crowd, and I appreciate your desire to be here tonight. And I realize what Mondays can be like. I have my own. <laughs> and uh, some of you have had some uh, activities going on today. I'm sure that you would uh, rather not, but uh, other activities which have been good. And I appreciate so much the effort on behalf of each and every one of you. Now, this is school night, of course, and it's not school holidays, although the children would like that. And uh, so we'll not be uh, terribly late preaching. But if you're late, it's your fault hanging around out there at that fellowship. Uh, and I realize there's probably some good things to fellowship around out there. But if you get out of here late, that's your problem. Don't blame me. I've learned over the years to preach and get out of the way of the table. <laughs> it was a great time last night. It was. It was really wonderful. It's just I got there too late. <laughs> I have found a hiding place when sore distressed. Jesus, rock of ages, strong and true. And in a weary land I in his shadow rest. He is my strength and all that I do. Jesus, rock of ages, let me hide in thee. Jesus, rose of Sharon, fair and sure to me. Lily of the valley, Bright and morning star, he's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Well, I found the sweetest flower that ever grew. Jesus, rose of Sharon, fair and pure. And he's my joy and comfort, blessed friend so true. He blooms within my heart evermore. I have found a lovely star that shines on high. Jesus, bright and morning star to me. And in the night of sorrow, he is ever nigh. He drives the darkest shadows away. Jesus, rock of ages, let me hide in thee. Jesus, rose of Sharon, sweet thou art to me. Lily of the valley, bright and morning star, why he's the fairest of 10,000 to this man's soul. Jesus, the sweetest name ever falling from anybody's lips. The sweetest name I know. I pray you know him tonight. Take your Bible, if you would, tonight, please, and turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. I've been between and betwixt all day long. Uh battling within my mind, heart, soul, spirit, about a hundred different messages I'd like to give you. So, fasten your seatbelt. 
It ain't going to get any more peaceful than this right now. Not really. I, you know, there's so many things that you want to say uh, when you come down to the end of things. And obviously this is uh, going to be the last opportunity unless the Lord moves in some distinct way for me to ever come here to Lavington Independent Baptist Church again. And as Pastor said, I've had a long and wonderful relationship with the church here over the years. Many folks who have been involved in the meetings over the years, supportive, helpful, and uh, meaningful in my life, and I appreciate so much their willingness over the years to help me along the way and uh, to pray for me and uh, make my life what it has been here in Australia. And of course, this has been a very big part of my life for 42 years. And plus, I'm married to it, so I can't escape it. But uh, anyway, it's wonderful. And uh, she sends her regards, by the way, that she's praying for us and praying for our meetings. But you know, there are many things you'd like to say, and you have to boil it down to perhaps five or six major thoughts that you want to leave behind. This is one of them tonight. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus was speaking to these folks, and he said in verse 1, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Let's pray just for a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray for help tonight. I pray for that wonderful, blessed spiritual energy and unction that only you can give. For me, the preacher, for these, the hearers of the word of God. Lord, I pray that there would be no one here tonight who's a hearer only. But as a result of hearing the eternal truth, they would be a doer of the word and work, lest they deceive themselves. So, Father, I pray you take this message and divide it severally as you will. For as many people here, there's a unique message for each and every one of them. I pray everyone will get it and be able to respond to it in a way which is beneficial to them. Now, Lord, we thank you for the gathering. We pray for the supernatural protection from disturbance and from things which would cause our attention to think about tomorrow or even days ahead, or the day gone past. I pray that every thought of our hearts and minds might be brought into the captivity of Christ, as the ladies just sang,
Consider him who endured such contradiction against himself, though he despised the shame, yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see Christ high and lifted up before men, and seeing him that way, he might draw men and women, boys and girls, to himself either in salvation or to a closer and more meaningful walk in Christ in this world in which we live. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Man has a way of justifying his actions through rationalization and comparing himself with others. We here in Australia are like so many in the West. Uh, we uh, subtly think that somehow uh, we are either more superior because of our material progress and prosperity, because of our education systems, because of our hospital systems, because of our community service programs, we subtly get the idea that uh, we're more favored, perhaps, and even more dangerous that we are uh, better than someone else. And Jesus settles the issue here in this passage. Other places he said, there's none good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, these uh, people who were uh, speaking to Jesus here, uh, they mentioned a couple of things that had happened in their recent history that the public would be very much aware of. And uh, perhaps the either inequity or unfairness of it or perhaps the deserving of punishment and they were elevating themselves in querying the Lord Jesus. The first one had to do with the fact that Pilate, uh, the ruler, had seen some people sacrificing, uh, making worship, and so he had them killed and mixed their own blood with their sacrificial blood. And so they say, uh, what's with that, Lord? And Jesus simply answered and said, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans that were slain here? Is it your supposition that because Pilate, the ruler, governor, decided to slay these people and mingle their own blood with their sacrifices, making a mockery, making a great ridicule of to whom they were sacrificing, and doing it in a public way, suppose ye, is it your supposition and your proposal that these people were greater sinners because of the way they were treated and because of the way they were slaughtered? And he puts it to them. Uh, he said, no, that's not the case. Didn't give an explanation, but he simply said, except you repent. Repent. 
ye shall all likewise perish. Then again, they said, how about those 18 people upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, slew them? Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? Brought it right down close to where they live. The city of Jerusalem, we know it as the holy city. It's a center of worship for major religions. He said the Tower of Siloam fell on them, much the same as accidents happen in other places. He said, is it your supposition that they were punished by eternal God or by the one that they were following in one of their religious systems? And is it your supposition that they were greater sinners than you who dwell in Jerusalem? Because there were lots of people getting around Jerusalem with phylacteries, which are the leather thongs and different things that they put on their fingers with scripture bound on them and on their foreheads and making broad their garments so they could be seen of men. And these people, like the Pharisee and the publican of old, the Pharisee and the publican tax collector, not the bartender, but a tax collector, double-dealing, low-life tax collector, which I don't want to say anybody here is that. I don't know if there's any <laughs> tax collector there, but uh, could be. But these tax collectors were uh, told whatever you can collect, the Romans only want so much. So if you collect $400 and give the Romans 100 you keep three. And the people knew they were wicked. But this tax collector, like Zacchaeus of old, the wee little man that we sing about in Sunday school, this tax collector and this publican, or excuse me, this Pharisee, a religious zealot, they go up into the temple to pray. Perhaps you know the account. The Pharisee stood thusly with himself and prayed with himself. Lord, I thank you that I'm uh, a man of uh, real dedication. I fast and I uh, tithe of all that I possess and I make an open show that I'm a religious man and I'm not like this wicked tax collector over here who can't even look in your face, God. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a self-righteous man in so many words. The Lord Jesus said his prayers didn't get above his eyebrows because he prayed thusly with himself. With himself. On the other hand, Jesus said of this publican who was over in the corner and kind of humbled down and, and uh, not lifting his head so much toward heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He admitted he was a sinner, lost, undone, unholy, in need of deliverance, in need of salvation. That's all of us. We're all sinners. Unless God works in your life, you're going to die and you're going to bust the gates right off of hell. And so Jesus said this publican went down justified because he simply realized he could do nothing to save himself but lean totally and completely on the work of Jesus Christ and the person of Christ. So Jesus says to these people, you suppose that you're more righteous than these 18 people that were in Jerusalem, this holy city? There was ridicule in their speaking there was criticism in their hearts and they were trying to make some kind of hay by 
confronting the Lord Jesus with this supposition. And Jesus comes right back to them in verse 5 and he said, Nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In other words, everybody's in the same boat here. And it's sinking. The boat of humanity sailing across the seas of life. And it's taking on water. And we're all going to go down unless something miraculously takes place. And all of a sudden somebody says, hey, look, there's Christ upon the cross being burdened and, and laden and actually made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so the lifeline is thrown out and anybody that wants to grab hold of it by faith will be saved. Basically, that's the gospel. So, what's the, what's the thing I want to leave with you here tonight? I want to leave with you the doctrine of repentance. One reason I do this is because it is so much avoided today in the presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior of all men. Now, Jesus is the one that's speaking here, and he's the one that says there is a need for repentance. I know I've preached here before on repentance, but hear me once again. Repentance is a change of one's mind, heart, attitude, and action about three things. There must be a change of one's mind about the fact that God is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. You can try to please God in every shape, kind of description of, of religious activity you care to mention. And it doesn't get above your eyebrows. You could pray every kind of catechism, every kind of whatever you want to talk about. You could spend time in a madras, or you could spend time in a temple, you could spend time in a cathedral, you could spend time in a local church just like this, bowing before Almighty God and simply hoping that that's going to get you there, it won't. You have to make a decision. For Jesus requires that there be a call. Call unto me and I will hear thee and answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. A lot of people are religious. A lot of people elevate themselves over the rest of humanity by saying, I'm like this Pharisee, I fast. I give tithes of all that I possess. I involve myself in charitable Christian work, so-called. And so God must and must have to be pleased with me. No, he doesn't. He said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll give judgment upon whom I'll give judgment. And here, Jesus, God in the flesh, says, except you repent, you're going to perish. You're going to spend eternity wearing out before God in a place called hell. 
I oftentimes use a little illustration that happened to us just north of Benella. Uh, 41 years ago, I was driving down the old road there and coming into Benella. It was Saturday at 11.55 a.m. You say, how do you remember so much? They used to roll the footpaths up at midday. No activity, no sales, no nothing. Everything was closed. Perhaps you're not old enough to remember that. Now it's 24-7. But in those days, people were more sane than they are today. And uh, they rolled the footpaths up, closed down the businesses. Noontime, everybody went home on Saturday. Tire goes pop. My wife said, you got a flat tire? And I said, no. I went immediately into self-denial. Some of you folks know what I'm talking about. You ever feel that twitch in, the, in your back? And you say, no, it didn't happen. No, 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 no. It didn't happen because you know for the next three or four days... If it doesn't twitch back real quick, you're going to be in agony. I went into something. I said, no, there's no way. I, I don't want to mess with a spare tire here. And, and um, I don't want to get out in the hot. It was, it was warm. And so I just kind of coasted on in there to the north side of Benella. And lo and behold, in the old days, there was a garage there for tires. Sign there. I think it's a long time been gone now. And I looked and there was a man just locking up the door, old padlock and a chain. And I pulled in and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't go home yet. And he said, we're closed. I said, you can't be. He said, you see the chain and the lock? We're closed. I said, listen, I need help. And because he was a kindly Australian man, he said, what can I do for you? And I said, I need help with this thing that's going blah, 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 blah on the side. He said, you a yank? I said, yes. <laughs> but I said, I've got a beautiful Australian wife here and a little three-year-old girl that's just gorgeous. He looked in. He said, you're right. I'll help you. <laughs> so he undid the padlock and took the chain off and said, pull it in here. And he put the floor jack under it and up it went took it off and broke the tire seal and he said, oh, your tube is perished. Truth, not a word of a lie. He said, your tube is perished. I said, I never heard that before. I said, I heard that tubes have holes in them and need to be patched. He said, this one's perished. No patch will help it. It's disintegrating. It's still a tube but it's disintegrating to the point it will not hold air. I said, you can't patch it. No, I can't patch it. I said, what can you do? He said, you got to put a new tube in it. I said, okay. So he put a new tube in it. But I'll never forget when he said, that tube is perishing, it's disintegrating, it's still a tube inside your tire, but it's useless. Useless. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You're always going to be, but you are absolutely useless to anybody to love them or to help them 
or to buoy them up. You're absolutely helpless to save yourself. You need new life. Jesus said, I've come to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly. And that's exactly the picture that Jesus does for us. Our soul is condemned already. For the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. It's headed to death and destruction. And so what do we need? We need new life in Christ Jesus. And he tells us in the New Testament, if we are born into God's family, we are a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. So, when Jesus looked at these fellows who were elevating themselves in their own mind, that they were not sinners, they were choice. They were top rate. These people that had had their blood mixed with their own sacrifices, even though they were religious, they had to be sinners that could, were, were just treated by God in that way, and so with the Tower of Siloam. Those 18 must have been some wicked. Jesus said, no explanation. He said, you need to repent or you're going to perish. Repentance, as I said, is a change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about God, first of all. God is. You may not agree with that. You may think that somewhere some gecko burped with a big bang, and then there was a little bang, and earth came into existence. Well, there's, I, I mean, that's as foolish as what they say, isn't it? I mean, they, they don't know if it was a gecko or if it was a moose, maybe a goose. You know, could have been most anything, just as long as they can explain away God's creation in their own mind. But how silly it is. So we see mankind trying to justify himself in places, trying to rationalize by elevating himself, trying to say, I'm, uh, I'm a good person, I'm all right, and, and if perchance there is a God that i got to deal with when I die, he's going to be pleased that I didn't sin too badly, that I didn't murder somebody, that I didn't kill somebody, that I didn't do something horrible. He's going to be pleased that I was an upstanding, outstanding citizen, helping, working, neighborly, community-driven. God must be pleased with that kind of activity. But he'll say, I never knew you. Because that's what is necessary. He needs to know us as we consider him, as we understand that he loved us and he had to sacrifice himself in our place for us to be saved. So repentance is that change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about God, first and foremost. Not only that he is, but what he is. A lot of people's concept of God is Santa Claus. We're about to uh, be besieged. I mean, even, well, I don't want to get political here tonight, but uh, even your no, new prime minister had a white beard on the other day playing Santa Claus. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, let's get back on subject here, Weeks. Um, we're about to have this uh, 
time of celebration which loses the plot altogether. It's not about the wonderful fact that God came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. It's about what am I getting for Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas my true love gave to me. I don't know, what was it, six golden gooses and five golden geese? I can't even remember. But give me the figgy pudding, you know, kind of get it out of whack. You say, Brother Glenn, you're making a mockery out of, sin, uh, out of Christmas. Out of the world's Christmas, yes, I am. The world knows nothing of what the meaning of true Christ in the world means. So, we're about to embark on this time of life. And uh, we find that there are many who think that that's all there's need for in their life. Just tip their hat to Christ on Christmas. Maybe sing a Christmas carol or two. And they're good for it. Or it's like those that, you know, they, they say, well, you got to do me down the church. You know, whatever kind of baptism, mode of baptism you have, dip me, sprinkle me, hit me with a fire hose, whatever. Just, you know, do it, and then I'll be fine. I won't have to go to church ever again. I won't have to reckon with Almighty God. I'll just, you know, uh, do that. But they fail to remember they've got to repent about their understanding that God is not Santa Claus and he's not some old man that sits on a throne in heaven and just kind of winks at the sin and degradation and the foul, filthy way we live. God is holy, thrice holy. And nobody's going to stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment and feel like they can even utter, but I did. No, they won't feel that way. They'll simply stand there shamed by his presence. That they never loved him, but they rejected the truth of him. So a change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about God and who and what he is and what he requires. Some people want God, but they don't want blood sacrifice. And yet God himself said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. I don't want that blood religion. I want a nice, clean, feel-good, friendly, user-friendly type of religion that is at my convenience. I know I've been there. I was raised in a Christian home, but I rejected all of it. And when I went off to war, my mother said, Glenn, please take this little Bible with you. And I said, yeah, give it to me, Ma. I threw it in the duffel bag. Then I came back from the war, and I joined the state police in New York. My mother said, Glenn, here's a little Christian worker's New Testament. And it's, got under, it's underlined, and it's, it's with sequential numbers to help you understand the plan of salvation and, and uh, help you under... I said, yeah, Ma, give it to me. And I used to put it in my breast pocket along with my police badge because I heard that a New York City police officer had been shot and the bullet had stopped just short of his heart as it pierced through a New Testament. I said, that's what I need. 
We didn't have Kevlar back in the day. All we had was cotton. And you can shoot a whole bunch of bullets through cotton. And so I said, well, if it worked for him, it'll work for me. And so I used to carry this Christian Workers New Testament around my pocket along with my badge. It's quite funny when you stop somebody and you want to show them their badge and you come out with a New Testament. You know, and they, what's that? I said, oh, that's not what I want. I reach back in, pull out my badge. Try to arrest them with a New Testament. It's quite an interesting feat. But anyway, the particular night that I got under conviction about the fact that I was eternally lost and in need of salvation, guess what I reached for? I didn't reach for my badge. I pulled out the Christian Worker's New Testament. I said, oh God, you're going to have to speak to me through this because I'm at the end of my tether. And he did, praise God. And I got saved on January 29th. 1973 at 11.45 p.m. I know I was there. I was in my police car. And I got out and I shot my 357 Magnum. I was so happy I'd finally been saved. <laughs> Threw my hat in the air. You would have thought I was a romping, stomping cowboy in the Wild West. I was so happy I, couldn't, I could hardly contain. I had finally found the truth and the truth had set me free. Uh, you have to have a change of mind, heart, and attitude, and action about God, who he is, what he is, and how he loves us, and that he is a merciful, wonderful God, not some mean old dictator in glory that's just going to punish you every time you turn around. His compassions are without limit. His love is beyond human comprehension. This God was willing to lay down his life for one soul, if that's all there was. But he laid it down for all of us and all the world that will trust him. For he's the savior of all men, especially them that believe. Now, secondly, you need to have a repentant heart and mind about sin. The world has tried to convince us that Sin is a disease. And even sometimes we refer to it as that when we say sin is a curse, but Christ is the cure because curing something is like curing a disease. But Christ is the cleansing agent. Sin is dirty. Sin is vile. Sin is real. Sin is alive. Sin will uh, take you down farther than you ever intended to go, keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay, and cost you more than you can ever pay. Sin. Sin is the disobedience of the law. Sin is the plowing of the wicked, and a, and a proud look in the plowing of the wicked. Sin is the transgression of the law. For him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. There's all kinds of definitions of sin in the Bible. And the thing is this, we're called sinners. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Come and wash in the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. So you have to have a change of mind, heart, and attitude, and action about sin. It's not merely a disease. It's not merely a vice. It's not merely some little trivial thing 
that people get up to and rationalize, well, others are doing it, so can I. No, you can't. Others may be doing it and doing it double time or triple time, but they're going to deal with God about it. You can't use that as a comparative. Sin is wicked. I know I've told this story, but it bears telling again. I was in Adelaide preaching at a church. Pastor, after we got done, we were standing at the door. Now, every time I tell this, people will exit the back door. But we're standing at the door saying goodnight to people, and, or good, good afternoon, because it was Sunday morning service. And uh, he nudged me, and he said, you see that uh, lady over there? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, she's a nurse. And I said, she's a beautiful nurse, lovely girl. He said, but she doesn't think she's a sinner. He said, I've talked to her, and she says, I'm a good girl, I'm not a sinner. I said, okay. So she works her way over and comes near me, and I know I'm pretty rough at times. I said, hi, how are you, sinner? And held on. I said, how are you, sinner? Tell me, you having a good day today? And, oh, boy, she's re you can just tell. She would have liked to bite my ear right off. Anyway, she said, I'll have you to know, sir, I'm no sinner. I said, well, I'll have you to know, ma'am, you are a sinner according to the Bible. She said, how do you know I'm a sinner? I said, when you were a little girl, you and your mother were making Anzat biscuits. You know, those wonderful, tasty oatmeal and golden syrup and all that butter and all of that stuff that goes in there. Man, make, anybody got one with them? <laughs> and uh, I said, you, you put them on the, on, the, on the cookie sheet, or not a cookie, biscuit sheet, excuse me, stay in context. And uh, your mother said, now these will be done in just a few minutes. And uh, they were. They come out nice and beautiful. The smell was just fragrant. And your mother looked at you and said, don't touch them. I'll be right back. You could see the wheels starting to turn. She remembered. She took one. Went out the back door. Ate it real quick. Tried to cover up the evidence. Come back in. And her mother said, you disobeyed me and ate one of the biscuits. And she said, yes, Mom, I did. And this lady is listening to me tell the story. And you can see it's written all over her face. She actually had done that. <laughs> Man, I was just taking a 90% gamble. You know, because how many Australian girls have made Anzac biscuits? Not too many anymore. They go buy them. That's the problem of life. Anyway, she turned on her heel and she marched out of that church. And I looked at the pastor and I said, I'm sorry I sent that lady away. She'll probably never come back to your church. He said, well, brother, we've tried to convince her that she was a sinner. We wanted to see her saved. But he said, we'll just have prayer. Five o'clock in the afternoon, they had their service. I'm standing there. And I see this car come flying in the driveway, man. Stop jumps out, and here she comes. She's marching like the infantry. 
And she's got her face set like a flint looking me dead in the eye and I grabbed the pastor and put him right here. <laughs> she came up and said, listen here, mister. You've caused me to have the worst afternoon of my life. I said, really? What do you mean? She said, well, when I got home, I was so angry. I was so upset. I threw some stuff around my apartment. I was just angry to the nth degree. I wanted to strangle you. I said, well, that's a nice attitude. She said, but then I sat down and I began to think about what you said, and it was true. I disobeyed my mother when I was a little girl. Disobedience is sin, isn't it? That's why it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. Anyway, then she began to say the litany of sins that came into her mind. The cheating, taking tests, crib notes, you know. She said, I just never told the teacher I cheated. I, I don't know if I can ever go back and tell her. And she, she had a whole list. I said, so what does this mean? She said, I'm a sinner, and therefore I can get saved. She got saved that night. But she's about 50 years older, maybe a little bit more today. She's still living for the Lord, loves the Lord, thankful she got saved. But you have to have a change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about the fact that sin is not just common, it's in all of us. It's real, and it must be dealt with supernaturally by confessing it and having it cleansed by the blood of Christ. And quickly, you need, thirdly, to have a change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about yours truly and about you. We're all sinners. There's none good, no, not one. We've all come short of the glory of God. We all need the grace of God. We all need to be born into the family of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. So when we contemplate ourselves and making the right decisions, it's based upon the change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about God, sin, and self. I need to be saved. And only God can save me. I can't save myself. And God loved me. And God loves me while I'm a sinner. And God saves me and he still loves me as a sinner. Because Christians are nothing more than saved sinners. And we have the potential if we take our eyes off of God to go far from God. But salvation is permanent. Salvation is inescapable. If you have sincerely trusted in Christ, I don't think you're going to want to sin. And if you do, you're wanna, you, you want to get back close as possible. Through what? Through repentance. Change of mind, heart, attitude, and action about the path that you're on. Lord, I'm going the wrong way here. I'm doing the wrong thing. Lord, I'm just not where I ought to be. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And it gets harder, more complicated. Sin is like compounding interest. 
and it's not something you want in your life very long. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction than hear this, the pleasures of sin for a season, because sin is seasonal. Oh, it may feel good right now. It may be working out right now, but I got news for you. It's like taking something nice and beautiful and sweet in your mouth, but when it lands in the pit of your stomach, it's arsenic. And it will lead down the path of destruction and eventually to death. So let me encourage you tonight. Think about the doctrine of repentance. Don't let anyone convince you that it's a work in order to get salvation. Don't let anyone consider or convince you that it's not necessary. Jesus said it was. Except you repent, he shall all likewise perish. What about you and I tonight? Where are we? Do we need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to salvation? I hope so, if that's necessary. Because he's never turned anyone aside who repents from their heart, change of mind, attitude, and action about him, sin, and self. Never turned anyone aside. And then he's never turned a Christian aside who sincerely comes and says, Lord, I haven't been living the way you want me to. I haven't been a man or a woman of my word. My integrity is totally shot, and therefore my testimony is all but gone amongst the people that I live. There's lots of different reasons, but whatever it might be, my message to you tonight is don't forget the matter of repentance if you ever see me again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that when some people hear the message, they get sad. Some people get mad, angry, but praise God, some get glad by responding to thee. And I thank you that you were long-suffering with this man. You continued to answer prayer of people praying for me, and eventually... That prayer led to the undoing of my self-righteousness. And I thank you that you can do that for anyone. So I pray tonight, O God, that there would be a work done in our hearts. For truly, you have given us a wonderful Savior who will love us forever and continue to work with us until the day of his coming. We give you praise now in Jesus' name, amen.